welcome to a special edition of Swing Thoughts. Special because because uh, Coach Tim is in the house. Coach Timmy, hello. I'm here, yes. <laughs> Where did that voice come from? I have no idea, but it's I'm a special. Here. Yeah. Special Coach Tim. Coach in, Tim. In the studio, in the house. Well, it's both... The studio and my house. It is. It's both. I was aware of that. (laughs) (laughs) It's kind of funny how that worked out. It's like, oh, yeah, Coach Tim is in my house. Uh, What a great uh, pleasure to see you in person. Yeah, good to see you, man. It's um, so I've seen you through the magic of Zoom for all summer. But I don't think I've seen you in person since the Blue Springs Glen Cairn Epic Ryder Cup match. Uh, okay, I think th- I thought there was a, a moment that we spent after that on a range somewhere. I thought one day after you and I were just hanging out. That was glories. a plan. That was that was no, a no, plan. Remember, remember we did meet. We just happened to be on a range at Glen Karen. Was that before? Or that after was Blues? before the Ryder was Cup. It, really? it was, which was like. Well, it was glorious. It was. It was lovely to it hang. It was out. lovely, and and we just like hit golf shots and talked like. Golf nerds do. It was really fun. No, I, and I, I recall that afternoon. It was so great because it's exactly what I like to do with you. We just, you know, talk golf and then hit shots and be like, yeah, man, this is the greatest thing ever. Uh, before, yeah. <laughs> and here's what I'm working on. Yeah. And before, we'll, we'll tell you what. We're going to thank our sponsors and we'll tell you about the golf geek out we had just before we recorded. Now, thanks to so, you know, we want to say a season long thank you, not only to everyone that listened and downloaded the show. I can tell you we have more downloads than we did a year ago. You know, not by a ton, but enough. It's encouraging. We appreciate it. Yeah. And we certainly appreciate the support of TaylorMade and Adidas and Bushnell. And, uh, you know, I think that part of what we need to do today after the show is talk about how we thank them. Like, we, I think we should send them a nice note and sort of say, here's what we... Handwritten, here. not email, but handwritten. Okay, let's not get carried away. <laughs> okay, easy now. Easy now, Granny. Uh, you can. I'm going to say, what I was going to say. I use this quill pen. <laughs> Tim, well, I think we're out of ink. Um, oh, I, I was somewhere. thinking along the lines of like summarizing the summer, how many impressions they got. Like send them a nice uh, affidavit, we call it in the business, to sort of go, not only thank you, but here's the number of downloads, here's the radio station appearances, etc. Data. So send you can them send them a nice note. And all who will <laughs> from Granny's Kitchen, <laughs> and I'll send them an email summarizing their uh, their participation, hoping, crossing our fingers that they'll be our sponsors again. Please, that new se- those new seven nineties are sweet. <laughs> Groveling's not please. Beneath you. <laughs> yeah. Oh, there's awesome stuff. Uh, it's so cool to be able to play this stuff it's funny I'm on the golf team I, I coach the University of Guelph golf team it's, do you some of our listeners I'm may, sorry. may recall <laughs> are you with the are you with the Griffins okay absolutely I thought that was you in all those pictures I saw you look good in that team well, photo by the way oh thank you it's back to my I, I used to be on CBC years ago and we always had I was always trained to in to kind of keep in mind that not everyone knows the show intimately, but maybe it's different in the podcast world. It is different. Anyways. None of those rules apply. Anyways, it was funny. By the way, you know why? Because if anyone's downloading this show, they're doing it on purpose. Thank you. Anyways, continue. More deep learning for yes. Tim. Thank you. So with the golf team, I'd see like someone would have a drive. What are you playing there? You know, even a tailor may think. 
Yeah, what do you got? One of the one of the kids who knows me. He's got the he's got the five. <laughs> he's got he's got all this latest. He's got stuff. the latest stuff. The high toe wedges. Oh yeah, he's got those. He's got Rory's putter. Oh yeah, <laughs> all that stuff. So I I got a gift at a pro am the week before the Canadian Seniors at Cedarbrae that uh, Sean Casey and I have been playing for a long time. <laughs> and uh, they give out uh, a gift at the beginning, you know, for registration. And they gave me a Foot Joy. Uh, golf jacket. I know. And I was like, I can't wear this or my skin will burn. <laughs> well, that's like at the, at, at, that's like the Blue Springs Blue Springs Glencairn Ryder Cup. I, we got these really nice Footjoy shirts and they went, well, be wearing this one time only. That's right. And same with us. We had one because one of our buddies uh, is a Nike guy. Yep. So our shirts were Nike. And I'm like, I'm only wearing this. And I have to wear this, but it's protest. Exactly. So I'm not comfortable with this. Uh, the other night, a men's night, they, right, we had our final men's night, and then they had the top 60 players over the course of the year get prizes. Uh, I didn't do that great. I was like 42nd. But I got a prize, and the prize they gave me was a Titleist uh, hybrid. And I took it and went, how soon can I exchange this for something good? <laughs> Ooh, I yeah. know. Yeah. Tender made forever. Anyway, we're, we, we do want to thank... Uh, Nick and everyone at TaylorMade, that's been so good to us. And uh, Casey at uh, Adidas. And uh, all the fine folks at Bushnell. And uh, again, we certainly appreciate you all listening to us. Um, this uh, show today is going to be a little bit of a season in review. We're going to talk about Coach Tim and uh, his Guelph team. Uh, this one is not on TSN. We've taken the uh, winter off from uh, TSN in Hamilton, thanks to the Mike Neighbors and everyone there that uh, supported us and actually ran our show on radio to absolutely no uh, feedback at all. <laughs> <laughs> just being real, people. I'm just used to that. Just being real. I, oh, my gosh. When I, when I was a wire service guy back, I was with UPI. I was the music critic for the Canadian press. You know, my stuff, sometimes, you know, if I had an interview with, say, like a big name, like a David Bowie or Robert Plant from Zep or something like that, you know, I expected, like, feedback because my stuff would go in 100 newspapers and that much feedback, zero. It was, like, so weird. I, I just think that's kind of the way it goes in this media landscape. So having said that, if there are some suggestions that you all would have for us or some things that you heard you'd like to hear more of. Or less of. Or less of. You know, maybe give us an indication. Like, what, what are, your, are your, do you like the shows where it's just Tim and I? Or do you want more interviews? Do you want just interviews and not Tim and I? Do you want, do you want, do you want us just to run Carl Morris's podcast uh, in this place? He's got a good one. The uh, Mind Factor. Yeah, or brain, brain boost. booster. Yeah, yeah. Brain or boost. just yeah. or just try and find every interview that Fred Shoemaker ever did. Yeah, exactly. Go just, get put that. A, just put on a loop. <laughs> Actually, one of my favorite episodes of Carl's podcast was talking to Fred Shoemaker and my my two favorite coaches. <laughs> so we would like some feedback, and not just because it'll help, you know, boost our iTunes ranking. Which would be cool, too. And if you could maybe like our page or get some more people to like our page. I think this winter, one of the things we need to do is kind of up our game in terms of, you know, feeding that beast. Tim usually puts his e-zine. E-zine? E-zine. It's like magazine. E-zine. Magazine. E-zine. Oh, okay. E-zine. Uh, you put a, that up there. It's good content. And then for a while there, when I was uh, bored, I just threw up some pictures and some, you know, links to articles. Um, 
I think we should just do more of that. And if there's some stuff you guys want to post on our page, you know, we'll, if, you're, if you like the page, go ahead and uh, post something. Yeah, and look at it this way. If you send us an email with some feedback, you are a de facto Swing Thoughts advisory panel member. Exactly. So we don't have any shirts to send you, but maybe we'll work on that. Because we're in year three, and we're supposed to work our way towards merch and stuff, right? And we can talk about that later. I guess. Merch? <clears throat> I guess. Does everybody have Sorry. merch these days? That's why you make passive revenue off a podcast? Uh, speaking of merch, before the show, I uh, debuted the uh, Tour Striker Plane Mate yes. for my mate, Tim O'Connor. Uh, you super nerds will know it. Marty Chuck, top 100 teacher in the States. Friend of show. Friend of the show. Friend of mine. Just spoke to him a couple days ago. He was in town for a funeral. And uh, Marty has a, a very famous golf school in Phoenix, Arizona. Uh, his uh, winter program starts at the end of this month. But Marty's, mo- I think, most famous. You've seen him on the Revolution Golf uh, ads on the on the TV. He's one. Of the, it's funny because when I see him, I'm like, oh, crap, that's Marty. I've known Marty since he was like 22 years old. At the Nash. At the Nash. That's how I got to know him. Anyway, Marty invented this thing called the Tour Striker, and it's a, a seven-iron style golf club. With small, a, right? Small, yeah. with a small head that is very difficult to uh, hit unless you hit the sweet spot. And what it does is it trains you. It doesn't matter what it does. So after that, he had a few... <laughs> it just does. It trains you. Uh, never mind. Yeah, it does things. <laughs> just okay. I'm not going to explain it. And then the most famous one so far he's had is called the smart ball. And it's the black blow-up ball. I have one, and it sort of sits in between your elbows. And up until recently, I found it impossible to swing with it. Justin Rose is probably his most famous client. But hundreds of tour players and tens of thousands of people around the world are using this thing. It's pretty cool. And then this spring, he came out with something called the Plane Mate. And similarly, it has taken off. And not only are a bunch of people using it, but many, many. Because I follow a lot of golf instructors on Instagram. And I've seen so many guys from George Gankus to, you know, some of the most famous teachers in the world saying, hey, great job, Marty and David. Really? That's yeah, cool. like it's crazy. They're giving Marty plaudits? Oh, yeah. Props. What are plaudits? Oh, sorry. Yes. I'm saying, I think that's, that's, that's right, Mr. <laughs> I can't even realize it was in the 1800s anymore. <laughs> plaudits. Yes. He's, they're giving him big plaudits. They're lauding him, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. That's a mixture, I think, of a couple of words. Never mind, props and yeah. laudatory messages. Whatever. Yes. Great laudits, uh, Marty. <laughs> laudits to you, good sir. <laughs> Madam, don't talk to me now. I'm lauditing my friend Martin. <laughs> so this thing, if, you, if you've seen it online, you'll know what I'm talking about. But basically, I showed it to Tim. It's a series of bands and a belt that you wear. Stan, enough, He's, dude. He's working on his... Um, Stan's got his water bottle. His single-use water product. The point of this plane mate is if you go online and check it out, it literally will put you on plane. I showed it to Rudra, one of our listeners and friends. I, we, I played with him a couple weeks ago. Mr. And I, Giggs guy. I, Mr. Giggs guy, and I showed it to him. And again, it's it, it it's so weird, even at the level we're at. Now, I've been both, both of us around this game a long time. I've never felt that move in the golf swing that this thing naturally puts you in and why I like it. You know, as a guy that loves the shoemaker school, the Hebron school, is that there's no words needed. It's just 
It just feels so you feel something different mm-hmm. and you just do your reps on it. You do your exercises and stretching. It also is great. It's got a fitness band as well for like just working on those muscles. And then you take it off and hit balls. You can hit balls with it. But all of a sudden your body feels differently. It, put, it, it, it almost you're starting to go into positions you've never been before. And again, through no there's no words. No one's telling you, oh, put your body here. It just puts it there. And I was really excited when I saw it in the spring, but it's taken all year, all summer to get it. I got it about three weeks ago. Yeah, it was great to see you. I think 90 seconds I was in the door. Oh, yeah. Hey, Tim, good to see you. How, what, how's, your, how's the kids? School great. Hey, i got to show you something. <laughs> <laughs> I've been so excited about you coming because I, I just couldn't wait. And when you got here early, I'm like, great, more um, plane mate time. <laughs> exactly. And it was just so great because, go, hey, Tim, sit down there. And I'll show you how this works. And he dons this thing. He kind of shimmies into it, got a little belt thing, and they got a uh, elastic thingy to the thing on the golf shaft. And he goes, "Just watch this. Listen, shut up, and learn." <laughs> oh, please. Here's what I said: so I'm going to show you how to use it, and then you're going to use it. Exactly. And then your life will change. It'll be different. It was awesome. Um, what's so cool about it? That my immediate thing was as I got turn to the top uh, i felt a a real turn a real turn like exactly. it wasn't just a sway back or anything like that but that right shoulder was just going up behind me but that feeling of like wow my i felt like really inside but when i looked at the club it it's was, on plane it's on plane that that club face is just completely square to the target line and you know what it really reminded me of there's pictures of Hogan from that... The plane, the plane of glass. The plane of glass and just, just that... The way he was just in his backswing at the top from that, you know, the five laws, modern fundamental, whatever it's called. The five books of Job. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> or like... Or like what? The book of Ben. Yeah. <laughs> All that. Anyways, it just felt and looked like that. Well, one of your comments is one of the things I felt. One of your first comments is what I felt initially, which is... I feel way flatter and way more around myself than right. I normally do. And then just like you, you look behind or you have a look in the mirror and you're like, oh, this is what everyone, this is what those guys look like. Because one of the things that all of us fight is how do we move off and away from the ball? And I can tell you, and you know, I've been at this a long time. My move off the ball has always been kind of a sway and a late turn. And then what happens is as I get more and more nervous or under pressure, I even turn less. Yep. And so now in order to get any speed for the golf ball strike, you have to do something else than unwind. But when you are actually on plane, like all of us have experienced a, a moment or two where you feel like, wow, that felt like nothing. And those swings are the most on plane that we are. Absolutely. Not to be true dramatic. I, I love the way you lower your voice when you get Sadovachi. When you, is that what they call it in radio? Laudits to you again for using a, <laughs> a dead language. <laughs> as long as we're not staccato. Don't but, let me but, staccato. But that's the nerdy part of it is that it put you yeah. in, immediately in a spot that felt you're like, wait a minute. Is that what a turn supposed to feel like? Am I going to break now? <laughs> no, we were talking about the kids, right? We were talking about the university. Yes. You talked about watching the Humber kids with Nick Trachilio's kids. And, and I it. looked at the, the picture of you, and I'm being serious. The shot of you and your guys looks great, uh, your university team. But when I said I, I've seen I've recently, just not as, I'm not as intimate with these people as you, but I watched them warm up. 
I watched them practice. And I said, I know when, I know your kids do it too. They just turn better. And not because they're more mobile, maybe, but they're, they're mo- all good players move off the ball is universally better than ours. It just is. Yeah, there's so much more rotation. More rotation, Even, immediate rotation. They don't hesitate. They turn away from the ball. Yeah, Golf Digest had a piece on that about two or three issues ago. Yes, analog. And one of the, the key takeaways was that right shoulder just starts to just go back. It's, that torso starts to turn. It's not, it's just not, a, it's not your sternum just goes back away from the ball. It There's a a real it's a real turn and that's what that's what the young the young people that's what they do so well but even the older guys i play with that are really 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 good like the lars melanders and the you know the the other top seniors that i play i look at them and i'm like like rob gibson like on the range that's why on the range most of us are making better swings because our turns freer we're le- and this is where the mental part comes in we we are less stressed we turn maybe a bit freer not like that but more free than we do in the first hole but i i could i could see every day during that national tournament that I'm as good as these guys on the range. I just was. I could see my ball flight was as good, if if not better than some. But just on the golf course, when I saw them, they were still making a free and clear turn. Yeah. And the reason I think turning is so important, please respond. Well, I think that one of the things, too, is that, so you're, it was interesting. You talked about how you felt more on plane, better turn, as if you were like some you know, twenty handicapper. Not to put twenty ha- handicappers down. You're a, you're a one handicap. You've the twenty seventh ranked senior. Twenty sixth. Sorry, I was going to say that. <laughs> I was going to say it. My new ranking came out. I moved up one spot. Thank you. Twenty <laughs> sixth ranked uh, senior in Ontario. And yet. And yet. And yet, you you see that you don't have you know an optimal. Rotation and and on plane, and yet you're you've got to a one handicap, and the thing that I'm going to connect with when you're playing with like the Gibsons of the world and Lars Melanders, is that on the range I think that because there's nothing really at stake on the range, we're just warming up. So I think some of our natural athleticism will help us through. We're less tense, and we can kind of compensate a little bit when we're in that environment where the timing is better. That's 100% my point. But you get on the golf course, there's some consequence. I made a double the last hole. Oh, I want to make a cut. And then there's tension. Those guys who've grooved this really good move, they're going to go through. They're going to be in in positions and move through the ball in a way that's it's just going to be more efficient. Right. You know, that's a very good point, because when I watched this guy that won the Canadian Seniors, a former tour player named Gene Elliott, and to give you some example how good this man is, uh, his first two rounds at Cedar Bray, he was nine under par. And wow. I was well back of that number. That's good, that's good golfing. <laughs> that is good golfing. But I watched him because I was on the opposite hole a couple of times, and I would always wait as I was walking by to see him swing. And what he does is he does – now, he may not do his, his range swing on the golf course, but his golf course swing, let's say it's 20% worse, it's still 60% better. Oh, yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's just oh, better yeah, than yeah. my turn. Um, but this, what, you know, this is connecting to the mental side. The fact that most of us don't know how to turn as a basic – you know, the way Fred Shoemaker put it, and you're the one who told me this. I don't know if you remember this. 
here's how Shoemaker describes the turn away. And I learned this from Tim O'Connor, Griffin Kirch. Kirch. <laughs> Griffin Kirch. Um, <laughs> you, we need addiction coach in today. Your, <laughs> in your golf posture, what you want to feel like is if you were to turn and look at somebody behind you. So if you were to turn to the right as though there was somebody right behind you, that's how far you turn. Yeah. And it's going to feel way more inside, and it's going to feel like you're jerking the club in. But here's the key. As long as you don't roll... I know this is technical, but listen carefully. Oh, yeah. As long as you don't roll your arms as you turn inside, as long as you're, as, and, and just you'll feel this, but as long as you are, are keeping your club in front of you, let's say, you can turn inside all you want because that's what Shoemaker's saying. If you turn over here, that's where that plane mate puts you. That's the position. So the question to Coach Tim is this, and, and ruminate if you need. What is it about... Because this is where trust comes in. Mm. Why don't we trust that the ball will still be there? Why don't we trust the turn away? Because I think, and even for higher handicap players, that is the culprit. Because that sets up the rest of your golf swing. I think our our greatest fear in golf is that we're not going to hit that little white thing down there. That That's it, plain and simple. People may stand up over a ball and and say I'm aiming at the target at the tree over there but ultimately at a certain point in their swing usually when they started their downswing am I going to hit this thing down here am I am I going to be able to make contact is it going to go where where I want it to go am I going to get the result that I want and all of that just leads to tension and we're not even present to what we're doing and in fact that's that is a recipe for self-interference. When we're, when we're really caught up in, I hope this works out. <laughs> and largely it comes down to, I think, the fear that we're not going to hit that little white ball. I love all that. Um, the one thing I would say for me that's different is I don't feel it on the downswing ever. I feel it by my fear of turning away from the ball. Like if I don't keep... If I don't keep my body to it, I might not hit it on the way down. Or yeah, I don't know. I, I, like that, that's it for me. Because so you, so you feel that you need to almost be facing the ball as you're turning for something. It's like yeah. I, it's like I don't let my head release. Because another thing about that shoemaker description, again, you, you know, you were the first person to ever tell me that, and it's brilliant. But the other description about looking over your right shoulder is what it does to your neck. It releases your head. Right, you know, Nicholas. You know, people don't realize. Nicholas turned his head to the right, but he didn't turn it inside. What, if you notice what he did is he turned his chin and rotated his he head exactly. on a level axis, not to be too geeky. But his eyes, think about it this way. He turned his head so that his eyes were still parallel to the line that he was going to hit that golf ball on. And they would move inside that They would line. move inside, but they were still, his head would move inside. Right. But what he was doing was pre-releasing his neck. And... When you make the move that that plane mate makes you do, what it also does is it takes your head. It has your head has to release a little bit because on the way down it lowers and stays level. Whereas mine, yours occasionally, I'm sure, is your head kind of goes this way. Yeah, it drops back. Drops back, and your eyes are looking now right of the target. Yeah, well said. And yeah. well, I yeah. got that. That last part piece is pure Evershed. Because Evershed is the one that said to me, where your eyes are going. You look at Ben 
Mo and George. That's who he he calls them that, you know, because he's Mark. I call them, you know, Mo and Norma, but he's like Ben, Mo, and Mo, and George, George Newsom. <laughs> the you Canadian look, trilogy, the, the trilogy, the all of yeah, the ball striking uh, triad, triumvirate. Thank you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Um, <laughs> you look where their eyes are, as they their eyes never are looking right of that that line. They're never, yeah, exactly, never pinched to the right. Yeah. So I would say this. I know this is a little technical for us, but it does. I think. There's some trust issues that all golfers have when it comes to the way they swing under the pressure of the game versus obviously the pr- there's no pressure on the range. But I think what it happens is what you said is good players are grooving the move, the, the proper turn, and the rest of us are kind of grooving some timing. And under no tension, the timing's great. Right. Yeah, Absolutely. I like the word, like, trust. When you said trust, that's a huge word in golf uh, and all parts of our lives. But also release. Now, one of the things that I was doing when you were noticing, you were saying, hey, okay, Timmer, let's let's swing to the finish position. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if you call me Timmer or not. I was going to say, at no time, swing thought nerds, have I ever called him Timmer. But I will now or, exclusively. Or, but, <laughs> but Timmy, Timmer, Tim Burr was a new one. Anyways, um I didn't release my body, <clears throat> and that's what you you notice release, and and because I don't know I had grooved or, or had this motion where I had to stay. I think it was connected to a um, a thought, a feeling years ago that I had to stay somewhat um, centered, but I didn't. Anyways, what I didn't really trust that I could maybe just release, and that's what I noticed when I watch these university and college players. That there's a lot of movement. There's freedom that I don't feel in my own swing and I don't see. And I play with a lot of good players. I don't see that same degree of freedom. Of I the, agree. Of that, that movement back and through. They, they move their bodies a lot more. Their engine, their torso. I, yeah. I play uh, quite, not quite a bit, but I played a lot this summer with a kid named Connor Watt who's one of the top university players from Humber. He's been working with Nick for years. And Connor was the club champion at the at Glencairn, um, I think, a couple of years ago, maybe even this year. But he's, an, he's, one, he's one of those kids. He's one of the top of those university-style players. And Connor has so much movement in his lower body through the ball, but yet it, it, it's, it's, so it's, the, it's, the, it's the power coming from the right spot. Yeah. Whereas a lot, I think most of us are trying to generate power more with our arms, sort of flailing at the ball. Well, not not so much with our torsos. And again, not just to make this all about the plane mate, but it's about the turn. Yeah. And the turn is so connected to how much you trust. And I think the key piece, what what's happening when I when I'm turning there, and what I also see in really good players. It's rotational. It's, yeah, much so, more than we do. Absolutely, and and that's what the that's how come uh, even older to younger players hit the ball so damn far is that there's just so much speed that's generation generated from that rotation. There's just so much um, uh, for, <laughs> centrifugal force. So yeah, they're strong, they're flexible, sure, but they're using the physics and and that rotation. The same thing when you watch the figure skaters, or or that thing that you've seen when you know take a a marble on the end of a string. Most of us are trying to 
are trying to be the marble when we really should be the center, the thing turning it. Yeah, and you just to, to really get that that string moving with that rock. And this is great stuff. I love this. This is like going back to like my 1980s books and stuff I used to read. But to move that string fast, you just have the tiniest movement, tight turns. Absolutely. Back to the 1980s of instruction. <clears throat> Remember that thing you'd see in Golf Digest, swing inside a barrel. I never understood that. That's actually back to 20s and the 30s. The 20s, sure. Percy Boomer. But but that <laughs> concept or of swinging between you know the door frames or whatever it is, I could never under I could never figure out why I was never able to do it, even with a one point whatever handicap, is because my and and I've been doing this, you know, again. But whenever that last tournament ended on the 16th of September, I left the, the club thinking, okay, the 2020 season starts now because I want to address the basic thing in my swing that breaks down under the highest comp- competitive pressure. It doesn't right. on men's night because I don't really care, but it does. I know and noticed that my engine, my middle, moves less and less and less to the point where my range 8 iron is about 160 in the air. My golf course eight iron is about one fifty five. Um, I won't try and push it much more than that. Yeah. My Cedar Brave eight iron was one thirty. <laughs> I can't tell you how short I Cedar Bray tournament pressure. Tournament pressure. I was hitting yeah. my eight iron one thirty five. Yeah. And I couldn't figure out why. And then now looking back, I'm like, oh, because I just got less and less movement because that's not my. Because I just wasn't aware of where I was supposed to turn right. and how freeing that is to turn like that. Because it's like, oh, just like when you wind up to throw, you don't really worry. You just you just sort of turn your right shoulder back behind you. That's kind of what those kids do mm-hmm. in their swing. Um, let's transition to your children, to your golf children. <laughs> let's talk about the My uh, golf progeny, the uh, fall university schedule uh, just wrapped up. Give us an overview where you guys have been, who you are, and uh, what do you stand for? <laughs> uh, we stand for representing the university. Like that. We, we stand for representing the University of Guelph uh, well. <laughs> so we don't throw clubs. Or, That's the most officious question I've ever asked. Yeah, uh, We don't scream or throw clubs and certainly don't go for juicy expletives on the golf course. Um, well, that's we, laudable. It is. We're plaudits to us. <laughs> <laughs> Big plots. Yeah. Um, we we had a great season. Uh, it's over now. We just had the Ontario Championships. So I was kind of... It's so busy, man. Someone said, how are you, Tim? I said, tired. And I said, well, no wonder. You had seven tournaments in 17 days. So it was really truncated. Uh, the, our men's team had a great season. We finished uh, much like last year. Uh, top three in six of our seven tournaments. We won two of them. Wow. A couple of our guys, uh, Josiah Dixon, he won at least one uh, by his lonesome. I think he tied for first in another. Justin Allen was first at um, MAC. Our our women's team, we have two more experienced players and two relative novices. Uh, The novices did really well. Um, One... One Haley Boyd had never played in a tournament before, and here she was competing in university golf. You know the scores weren't the greatest, but she scores don't matter. Then. She just got better, experience, and better, and better, yeah. all of that, and all yeah. the learning, and and so it was a really great season. Uh, we did well. Uh, we went into the Ontario Championships. Uh, think uh, with our men's team, thinking that we could be 
on the podium, you know, gold, silver, bronze. And we finished fourth, so I won't lie to you, it was mildly disappointing that we didn't medal, but we did qualify by being in the top five of the Ontario Championships, we qualify for nationals. And, and that's in the spring, right? Yeah, it's just May. So, you know, you have to look at golf in terms of how you move forward. So last year we finished fifth in Ontario, so this year four. So that's what golf's kind of about is incremental learning as you go along. And I think it gave me some thoughts about some stuff that uh, we need to focus on through the winter and through the summer in terms of where we need to be just to get – a little bit more resilient going down the stretch for our team. I think some of our guys finished kind of messy, and I think that's may, maybe what kept us kept us off the podium. But I'm really proud of them. Uh, they did really well, and it's it's really cool to 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 work with these uh, young people in the midst of a tournament, and they feel a lot of pressure, like Justin Allen. Uh, really great player out of Weston. I think he was second in the Willie Park one time. And there he was, vying to win the individual championship. And the pressure that he felt was unbelievable. He, he had never been in a tournament that big before. So to walk the fair, so I said, okay, I'm, I'm walking with him for the last four or five holes. It was pretty cool, man. It was, it was like I was kind of like caddy. <laughs> A uh, psychologist, uh, older guy. <laughs> you were all those things. All those things. And and, like, and for, very well qualified for all three. Particularly the old part. Uh, <laughs> but it was really interesting is that, after, so I knew he was right there. And unfortunately, he, he three-putted his uh, 17th hole. And, but I knew he was still right there. And I could tell it really, ugh, it really hurt him. And... Uh, so I had I, I felt I have to get him in a place where he can let that go. But then there was like about a 10-minute wait until he could tee off. The hole was backed up, his last hole. So we're just standing there, and he's kind of looking down, and I just know he's got he's feeling disappointed. But I, there's a lot of golf left, one hole anyways. So we're not talking. And I just said, did you play hockey? Yeah, I played hockey. <laughs> and then we just, yeah, I played triple A and all this. And we just, for five minutes, we just talked about hockey. Oh, my son, Sean, played hockey. And so I kind of felt like that, like a tour caddy does with a player. You take his mind off, off off the tournament and where he's at and what's happened and just and just kind of get him sort of distracted and relaxed. And then, you know, he was ready to go and he just crushed his drive. I mean, that thing was just out there like 3.30. Like, I bet you his turn was good. Oh, my God. Kapow. He's got, you know, I say, Justin's got, like, a set of wheels on him like Sidney Crosby. And he just turns that caboose and kapow. My gosh, he just hits it a freaking mile. So it and was, it, And it's so efficient. It's just like it, it connects right back to where we're talking But about. so anyway, Jason pars the hole, birdies the hole. Uh, Justin. Uh, Justin. He pars. Changed his name to Justin. Did I say Jason? I don't know. No, Justin. I think okay. I'm pretty sure I said Justin. I'm sure you did. Um, he parred the last hole, and um, so he finished one back of winning. So he, he's kind of disappointed, but he was right there and so the three putt would have tied him uh yeah we would have kept him tied and then uh the last hole he had a chance at birdie didn't make it um you know but it was it's a cruel game 
Oh, it really, it's gross how cruel the game is. Gross, yes. It is, it's gross. Yeah. This game is gross. Well said. I mean, Justin was just so... Oh, his heart was racing, you know, just trying to keep himself... He almost like almost like hyperventilating and having to wait and calm himself down and, okay, let's go. And he had never been in a situation like that before, ever. You know, and that's such an important... First of all, thank you for sharing, Brother Tim. Appreciate that. Thank you for holding space and listening. Yeah, no, I enjoyed a, all of that. In a non-judgmental way. I judge ye not, brother. Brother of mine. Plaudits to you for that. Plaudits. Super. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag. Hashtag big plots. <laughs> Do you know, it's funny because we're, we're joking because we're it's a play on lauded and uh, props. But ironically, plots, P-L-O-T-Z, is a Yiddish word. To plots, the verb, means to gush over something, to be proud of somebody. To pl- so it was so great, I plotsed. Oh, so were you? It, there's a three. You're not a schmuck if you plots. No, plotting is what your your parents do. They plots. They cavell. They they. Well, it's not just pride. Plotting is to be excited about something. You know what? I th- I think I'm using this word. Yes, I'm using this word correctly. What plots? I, don't plot it. I googled it. All right. An expression of praise or approval. Yeah. So if you I give someone it. plots, you're expressing approval. Plots, P-L-O-T-Z, collapse or be beside oneself with frustration, annoyance, or other strong emotions. I've only ever heard of it as in terms of plotting over something. Well, you're talking to a guy who's written four books. I mean, I'm a writer, man. Yeah, but you don't know that P-L-O-T-Z is a is Yiddish word. Yeah, but P-L-A-U-D-I-T. Plaudits. Plaudit. Yeah. Yeah. And so, Listen, we're both. If you we're, give so singular, you do it once. <laughs> if you plot it, you've done it a, a, a couple of times. Listen, we're both competing for the hearts and minds of the <laughs> listeners with with these words, and we're expanding the horizons. So, um, experience is so important. I think not just for someone like Justin in that situation, but but for any of us. And connecting, as you would say, connecting back to uh, the listeners who. You know, they're not, maybe they won't get to a tournament of that level, but any tournament you play in, whether it's the club championship or an invitational or you start trying to qualify for some provincial stuff, it really is the experience of, for you to draw on, even in your everyday rounds. And here's what I mean. You know, I've had so many rounds over the course of this podcast where I've been four over after three or I made a nine and then a birdie. And and, and what it's done for me looking back on this season now is, I just have more patience. You know, we started men's night the other night. I've really been playing very much or very well the last three and a half weeks. You know, I've been not feeling great and uh, just haven't been, you know, firing. But uh, I started off the round. I think I bogeyed the first three holes, maybe the first two or three holes. But I just remember being on whatever the next tee was going... I've done this before. You know, I knew, yeah. I just knew that, it, you know, there's a bunch of ways to express it. Eventually your handicap shows up. But I just know from the experience I've had that all will be well. <clears throat> I also know that it doesn't matter whatever the final number is that I, I know I won't give up. Yeah. And knowing that, even in a casual round at your club, you know, on your Saturday morning game with your buddies... Knowing you won't give up is a pretty powerful place to be because it means that there's you're open to the idea that there might be good to come. 
but not being open to that or not knowing that you are you're fragile because you don't you may you think well i'm going to continue making bogeys for the rest of my life you know yeah yeah for the rest of my life is it like getting caught so is it like um not getting caught in your story like i think in the past you've talked about oh today's one of those days can't make any putts you know i'm just gonna bogey every hole for the rest of my life being caught in a story so have you found that you're now able to sort of catch yourself in that thinking go oh my i'm back to the story or that sort of thinking and able to take yourself kind of back to present moment or just let it go uh, absolutely i don't do it as consciously anymore because i've done it so much consciously right that you're you know, unconsciously uh, competent it, it's certainly in the idea in the area of I'm okay. Sure, I get pissed off. I played yesterday on a beautiful day at Greystone. Like, just a gorgeous fall day. It was awesome. And I played with three other really good golfers. And, you know, we were playing a little game, fun game of Wolf. You know, you got to, you know, whatever, you take a partner. I literally shot eight over par in the first nine holes. I just wasn't... I've been working on my game. You know what it's like when you're working on stuff and oh, you're uh, trying to play. Yes, I know. But I accept the intervention. that. <laughs> but I accept that. I accepted that was going to be the case. I would. I didn't putt very well. Three or four. I delivered three or four three putts. But I also knew that a it was going to be okay. It's a beautiful day. Mm-hmm. And that was the last thing I was going to do is get frustrated. Yeah, a couple times I lipped out on a three putt. Went on as a drag, but hit a nice putt. Whatever. I'm so goofy. But eventually, I just knew that either I was going to be okay, or I was going to shoot 87, and that was going to be okay. I didn't. I wasn't afraid of that number. But I also thought, you know, maybe I'll just work on a little less on the back nine and just try and play a little bit more. And yeah. I shot. So you know, there's the more. You know, you know what's coming. I shoot uh, two over on the back and yeah. end up shooting 82. But 82 was the best I could have done. I birdied uh, a couple holes on the way in. And that really was the best I could have done. And I tried my best. But knowing, even in the front nine, when I was making all these bogeys and three-putting, even when that was happening, I knew it was going to be okay. And that's what I've learned over the last three years. And that's what a lot of amateur golfers and particularly younger golfers, a lot of them have yet to learn that. And a lot of that just comes from the young. So much of their score, just like... You know how they show up academically or this clothes they wear so much has to do with their identity and where i'm going with this is that on so when you're coaching a a a university golf tournament once the tournament's on you're mostly kind of a spectator occasionally you're giving a player a thumbs up you're checking in sometimes you arrive at the right time you know they need some counseling or a rules thing but anyways so there's a lot of time to chat with some of the other coaches and what we talk about a lot is wow these kids they're young their kids compared to most of us they get so into their story and they get so thrown by how the game just seems to you know hurt them in so many ways and they carry it you can see how they walk you know they hit a shot in this kind of grand gesture at the sky or bang the club and what a player like you it comes with some maturity, but also awareness of that that type of reaction does not serve, because all just you just propel your sense of anger and tension, and also you release cortisol, all this. But mostly, it's getting caught in the story. Oh, it's one of those days, isn't it? I'm going to pull every every iron shot. Uh, I'm not going to get the ball to the hole, and and I have this 
this is a thing that I go with, with with my players a lot is don't get caught in your story. You know, I can't make a putt today. It's just a story, man. Just you've made putts. They haven't gone in. Maybe want to go in because it's just, again, it's all, it sounds like all cliche. It's one shot at a time. Yeah, but cliches, uh, you don't get a bad rap because they are cliches, meaning that people go, oh, I've heard that so many times. What I always say to my kids is, is they're cliches, not because they're not true. It's wisdom. It, they, it started off as a, it's, it's become cliche, but it doesn't make it any less true. That's right. You know, that concept, and we've all done it, you know, whatever level you're at. You've had a, a rough start to your round, let's say, or a less than optimal start. But the way that Shoemaker or Hebron or the golf from point A people would, would put it is no shot in golf is any more or less important than any other shot in golf. So if you start off with a few bogeys or a double or something that's less than what you want in the first section of the game, those are just they don't count any more or less because, you know, if you're if you're aware and, and what that's what we're talking about, if you have some trust in in what you've been able to do, like I just know that no matter what's happened, that there will be a new hole and that I'm going to bring as much as I can to that next hole, which is why some of my proudest moments from this summer are the days that I've gone nine two, that I went triple, then two under through seven, then quad and shot five over. I mean, like I've already made all the big numbers you can make and I know that I'll recover, you know. My last thing on this section is that I my biggest takeaway from this summer was that recovery is more important than remorse. Yeah, this you've been you've been pounding this drum for a while around that, and I love it. It's it's because so important. it's true every it, day. Absolutely. I mean, I was talking with my son Sean today, and I was saying how as a coach, I find myself uh, before and sometimes after repeating some of the same things, and it kind of gets back to cliche. It's because there's some wisdom in it. And I I think that it's really cool how you've really um, connected to this piece about recovery. Because what because that's really what it is about in so many ways. And how do we not get caught up in our story and, and just the loop or what we've called often the death vortex. Yeah, the you spiraling know, vortex uh, of I'm doom. Like, oh, I can't but I know it could never but my dad was right. I'm not a, you know, I'm not <laughs> a very good blah, blah, boy. Blah. Exactly. When we catch ourselves and just go, oh, I'm in that again. I'm in that pattern of thinking that old behavior. And that's if we can kind of, kind of stop ourselves and go, that's not me because we're not defined. We're not unchanging. We're not broken. We don't we didn't start the game too late. We don't need to be fixed. We're just this when we connect to like our essence of who we really are. That's when the we can really go. But when I get caught in my story that, oh, you know, I guess I just don't practice enough or something well whatever that I'm story doing, does is it I'm, stops you at that moment 100 percent, and i become limited well and that's we're saying that so all of that is to say when you get caught up you are that you you that is the point at which your game stops for the day it just does yeah and I, all parts of your life stop uh, and it and um you know, as soon as you close your down, close yourself down. You know, whether it's in your relationships or your golf game, that is the point at which there is no more growth. Um, you know, the 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 idea that every shot has a every shot has a purpose, but every shot counts. I'll give you an example. Um, we all have no trouble trying hard 
when we're playing well and, you know, we're trying to get up and down for a birdie or we've hit a par five and two or, you know, exciting things are happening. We have no trouble focusing, I should say, in those moments. It's when, I'll give you an example from yesterday. I'm having an you know, I, I'm hitting an okay, but I'm making bogeys where I should have made pars. I made a few three putts, and I'm starting to feel because in this game we're playing, the other whoever has the tee, you get to pick your partner. Oh yeah, you played that game. Yeah, and and sometimes you know if nobody picks you, you're starting like, well, because I and I wasn't playing very well, and nobody's picking me. It's just like it's just like in the schoolyard. Yeah, and you're the last <laughs> to be picked, and well, I guess I'm not well, very good. I, and and. <laughs> And to be fair, and I say this with respect to the other guys I was playing with, I don't care if they hear this. I'm the best player in the group. I don't care. I just am. That's just data, folks. Uh, so, just but the they're facts. they're very good players, yeah. and they're playing much better than me. And so I joke on the seventh hole, like I said to one of them, "Listen, if you don't want to pick me, I get it. <laughs> okay, I get it." And I, I caught just- myself, and I caught myself as I teed off. I said, "Stop it." Stop feeling like the the schlep rock of the group. Because I could feel myself starting to close in on myself. Yeah. And here's what I did. Yeah. I, I, and you'll love this. <clears throat> and I know this is going to sound like hokey to you listeners, but here's what I did. I, I, and I, I, I remembered something Coach Nick told me. I started to walk like I was five under par. Yeah. I, 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 literally, I literally squared my shoulders, stood up straighter, and I said, I am going to start to act... Like I'm under par because I'm acting like I'm five over mm-hmm. and I'm starting and those guys are all even and one under and one over and they're playing very nice. And I so I, I have this new approach on the eighth tee and I just rip my drive playing a eighth hole at uh, Greystone three wood off the tee. And I have like a hundred and fifteen yard gap wedge to a front pin and I fat it into the hazard and with my new attitude. <laughs> So here's the point about not giving up. Yeah. But because I was committed to continuing to try, because it's easy then. I've two in the hazard. They're all in the green or around it. Now i got to get on in four. And I promise you that most people, myself included, won't bring the same focus to the, the par chip to get up and down for bogey or double as they would if that was to get up and down for birdie. But yeah. I said to myself, you got to keep trying. Even if this turns into a double, because it's a tough shot. I hit it the best I could, 20 feet past the flag, tried hard in the putt, missed it, made a good double. But, you know, I felt good about it. I like that good double. But you know what I mean? I like it. Because I could have given up and said, screw this, the day's over. ESC. Triples, exactly. Yeah, the ESC. (laughs) But I didn't. And even though I three-putted the ninth hole, I just felt like, okay, I got a fresh, fresh, fresh lease on this. And it was about attitude first, and then golf second. I said, "I'm not going to. I'm not going to feel like the. I'm not going to feel sorry for myself because these guys are beating me." What a what a good story to connect with. Recovery is more important than remorse. Always more important. Always, yeah. Because getting up and down for the double, whatever was. I just knew that if I didn't keep trying at that point, it was going to be so easy to give up. I mean, mentally check out. I was still going to be there enjoying the day. Yeah, blah, yeah. blah, blah. And telling stories. Telling stories. Yeah. But the fact that I came back and shot a couple over on the back nine could have been much better, but I just felt like, oh, I'm, I'm getting not rewarded, but it, it just, once again, it goes to show you that your attitude is everything and that trying is its own reward. 
Yeah. Staying and, and what a great kind of uh, behavior pattern to ingrain. Yes. You're always not giving up, not succumbing to story that you're I mean, really, any coach of any sport will tell you that the best players and the players who become captains of, of teams, who become your leaders, are those players who are always keeping their head up, going hard, never never giving up. I, I even watched a, a, a high school football game yesterday that a buddy of mine was refing, and this kid, a defensive back, a guy, you know, got around him for a touchdown, and he came back and he threw his helmet down and immediately the coach was on him and the captain was on him and says look you know don't throw your helmet in essence i think what they're saying is that don't give up don't beat yourself up stay present moment stay here and that's in essence so much of the game and so much of life is can we not succumb to our stories about us and here we go again because it is none of that you know like the buddhists say all life is impermanent. You know, so when we hark about, oh, it was better in the past, eh, it was okay then. But we're right here right now. But it's also practice. The, 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 the idea of uh, practice, whether it's a meditation or whether it's Buddhism or practicing a behavior, it takes practice. Absolutely. So you know? that's what you were doing. That's, and that's, that's what, what I'm doing. But that's what I've learned to do because, believe me, it doesn't come naturally to me. I'm the, it's the least innate thing about me. Is and that's patience, but in golf, like you know, I just wish, you know, I could have told thirty-seven-year-old Howard what I know now because I was physically a pretty decent golfer. Still didn't, still wasn't on plane, but I was pretty decent. <laughs> You're still a nice guy, though. Still all right, not on plane, but, but I didn't know. really get this part, and um, but now I get it at such a visceral sort of DNA level. So we're playing yesterday, and, and one of the holes, I picked my buddy as a partner, but we, he and I were also playing a game, a little match play, and I'm uh, four down after 10, but I still want to beat him. Yeah. And, um, but we happened left. to be, we, what, what's that? A lot of golf left. A lot of golf left, and I just thought, okay, I'm still going to try and beat him. I'm not going to maybe win the Wolf game because I didn't make any points, but uh, on the 12th hole, he and I are partners. He hits his second shot in the hazard and isn't going to play it. He's just going to go to the cart. And I said, no, 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 you and I still have a game. Oh. He goes, well, do you want me to just forfeit the hole? I go, no. Drop the ball. See if you can get up and down for bogey because awesome. it's a tough hole. Yeah. I don't want to beat you because you quit. And as it turned out, it's a really tough hole. I had a great drive. Left of the uh, hole. Hard. I had a 10-footer for par. Just lifted out. He gets it to 10 feet, makes his bogey putt. We tie. Nice. But I said to him, I go, listen. I was. I used to be that guy, and I can tell you. When I used to give up, I, I was practicing giving up. Mm. And I said, "There's something You're in getting that. good at giving up." I got great at giving up because then what would happen is under pressure, I'd go, "Well, you know, this I'm not really blaming." When I'd have all this story and all these excuses that I would allow myself because I didn't want to post the six or seven or eight or nine because right. I thought it would humiliate me. Mm -hmm. But I, I I did it all summer. I had big numbers in two of the biggest tournaments I play in, still made the cut, still finished, still here. But I said to my buddy, I said, don't do that. I said, that's not a good habit to get into, man. Absolutely. That's Especially if you want to play tournaments. That's some great teaching there, great coaching, whatever. But wow. I didn't want to, I also yeah. didn't want to win like that. Yeah. Because I was, I, I, and I ended up tying the hole. I ended up winning 
on the 18th hole. Oh, I, props. I could have, well, I'm finished. Par birdie, par birdie, or whatever it was. I gave you Thank props you. and, and plots plots for that. Plots and lots. Lots of plots. <laughs> but but I could have won earlier if I had let him just quit that hole. Yeah. But I didn't want that. And I also didn't want to watch him quit because it's a bad, bad habit to get into. And we all, listen, anyone listening has done it. Whether it's your Saturday morning game or your club championship, you've literally said to yourself, fuck this, and just flailed away. And then you go home and you think, oh, man, if I hadn't three-putted a couple times or I got up and down a couple times or tried a little harder, I could have been a couple shots lower. I even said that to my friend yesterday in the middle of the front nine chaos. I said, I know this. When I drive home today, I'll know I tried on every shot. Yeah. Because I did. And, and It so- just wasn't working out for me. And, and and here you are. You survived. <laughs> Marty Chuck, by the way, the guy that invented the plane mate, one of my favorite things he says to his students is sometimes you're the fly and sometimes you're the windshield. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's you know? a beauty. And that's what golf is. Sometimes yeah. you're the windshield and sometimes you're the fly. <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't know how you top that. That was awesome. Um, it's true. In every round of golf, we're all, you know, we all have that those moments. Yeah. And we all have had the moments where I described that double bogey where you've, you know, you've hit a ball and the hazard or whatever. And then you're like, ah, oh, crap. And now I got a tough up and down. And then you, what if I don't get it up and down? And then you don't, you end up making seven because you're three putted. When you walk away, you go, damn, I could have just made a double there. You know, it's, and Henrik taught me this, that, that, and it's a, it's a crappy thing, but sixes are better than sevens. Absolutely. And, and I know it sounds stupid. But I promise you, when you go home and you, you shot 42 instead of 43, you'll thank me for that. Because on certain days I play golf, I shoot around par or better. But some days I shoot 80. Mm-hmm. But yeah. I'd rather shoot 80 than 81. Absolutely. So I, I think the thing that I could uh, challenge our listeners to is just to be aware of when you get caught in story. You know, it could even be in the Tim Hortons. Like, oh, I always get, when I'm, out, when I'm late for an appointment, I always get caught behind the slow guy. You know, or something, or on the golf course. Oh, I. How come I? Oh, one of my players after the round, he made like on the ninth hole, he made like this twenty footer for birdie. It was like almost impossible. This roller coaster, down it went, boom into the hole. Unbelievable putt. But he said, "How come I'm not making the putt you're supposed to make? Like four, you know, four and five footers and stuff." And I said, "You're caught in your story right there." That's just a story. There's there's nothing that says you're supposed like today was the day you weren't supposed to make certain putts. In the same way that you know when I people catch themselves in the story of well here's a, here's another the day is gone here I am that's the day here I am five over after three holes I guess in blah 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 and that story keeps going. And I think what we're, we're talking about is being able to kind of be aware, oh, I'm caught in my story, and then where do you go from there? And to me, it's coming to presence. It's coming to here and now, and being fully invested in the shot in front of you, leaving behind what you had, and, and never mind what you could shoot on the front nine or the back nine, be present right now and give your full attention to what you're trying to do and it might work out, and maybe sometimes it won't. You know, sometimes I think people are scared to do that. I know sometimes I do that when I'm like, well, if I don't really size this shot up, 
completely. I'll have an excuse if it doesn't work out. Because I know the difference. But I know, that's your, but that's that's the fragile ego. But that's what I'm saying. Like there's yeah. like some of us that, that the game does that to us, where we think, okay, I'll hedge my bet just in case this doesn't work out. Where because I know the focus that organically I can bring to a shot if I'm not caught up in. I feel a little bit ashamed that I'm not playing as good as these guys. You know, right. like I said when I said to those guys, well, you know, listen, don't worry about picking me. Like, because I don't know. Part yeah, of it was yeah, I was yeah. kind of joking because I, I I'm working on some stuff in my golf swing. Well, there you are, in, you but know, there I, I get a little bit of a little feeling sorry for myself. Uh, there you are, eight years old and standing in the and street. Why do those guys get to play good and I don't get to play good? You know, you're eight years old in the street in Moose Jaw and last to be picked on the road hockey team. But then I remembered that I was a 26 ranked senior in Ontario. <laughs> there you go. I got to take a back seat to no man except yeah. the other 25 guys ahead of me. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. But, you know, and the other thing we've talked about this a few times is that who's the only, who's going through all these mental gyrations and the stories and the feeling of like of shame and all this. It's only you. It's only you. Exactly. And no one else freaking cares. Nope. And they're not going through that. It's just your own little interpretation of what's going on in the world that it's your own story, folks. But and it does take time, practice and, and vigilance. Like I, I literally, I could, I, I wasn't close to moping, but I was kind of walking around yesterday at some point and saying to myself, "Don't let this game wreck this day, because this day is great." Because I knew it was going to be a beautiful day. I knew I was going to spend time after practicing there. I had golf recorded on the TV. Like my whole day was great. It was all set. It was all set. <laughs> and I reminded myself that you know these are guys. I don't need to prove anything to anybody. I certainly don't need to prove it to them. And uh, all that goes on in a round of golf for no real reason. But it's, I think, relatable because it's everyone's round of golf all the time. How we see ourselves, what stories we're telling ourselves. You said something earlier in the show about interference. I think that's where it starts. Mm -hmm. I think our interference begins at the stage of how am I feeling about myself right now? And I said this to you a few podcasts ago. Golf is the greatest game to, to give you a sort of a, ment a snapshot of how people feel about themselves in that moment, maybe in general, what kind of person that guy is, that woman is. But on that day, we all learn how we feel about ourselves that day. And, and again, I've had to practice not feeling I'm a fucking loser because I can't make a four-foot putt sometimes. You're none of that. You're, you're, exactly. You're none of that. And sometimes... But we all feel that way. Oh, I know. But it's the golf is the big reveal of our, of our character. You yeah. want, you know, it's again back to cliches. You want to learn about somebody, oh, yeah. you know, give them a tough lie in a bunker, <laughs> and you'll you'll learn a lot about that person. That the thing that, that just it comes home to me more and more is that if I can free myself, like freedom, real freedom to me is not getting caught up in my story, not letting my thoughts just run away from me and dictate who I am that is freedom when I can just just kind of be in like where I am and, and, and I'm not I'm not this I'm I'm not you know fill in the blanks I am a bad putter I am bad at business development none of none of that stuff is true it's all just thoughts and that's our little fragile ego trying to keep us safe and and that's 
but it's being aware that you know, it's just the mind. It's just this freaking antiquated brain wiring that's trying to keep us alive. That's why we think that way. But it it doesn't, doesn't serve us. Doesn't it come out in the weirdest ways in golf, though? Like guys, not just overt ways where guys get mad or the things that they say to themselves or we say to ourselves, but you know things like people that have you know chipping issues or people that have. You know, putting woes. You know, it's like they just get they they get caught up in the idea that this is who they are forever and ever. I'm a bad putter. I'm a bad putter. I'm a bad chipper. I played the other day uh, with someone that you've worked with. I won't say who. <laughs> and uh, and you have. I don't know if you worked with him this year, but you worked with him in the time that I've known you. And he's got some ch- uh, chipping issues. And uh, just watching him, and he's a very fine swinger. They're like, oh, my God, he hits it so good. But, boy, I watched him chip, and I'm like, I know that every time he walks up to a chip, it's like an ordeal. It's like a helmet fire. Uh-oh. A yeah. helmet fire. That's an aviation thing. Oh, I love that. That's what pilots say when there's a lot of, you have, you're overloaded by a lot of stuff. You know, the, you have a tough landing, you know, wind shear or something. They call it a helmet fire. I love that. But you see golfers, when their heads get a little bit warm, and I watched him. Every time he approached a chip, it was like just his body language changed, and you all of a sudden you approach, because now he's telling him this story. And it's tough to get out of, man. Absolutely. Especially because it's one thing to chip around the putting green or whatever when it doesn't matter, but the first time you have a chip where you want to get it up and down to say par or whatever, it has some meaning to you. It's, oh, not again. Oh, you know, all this stuff. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's over and over but, and over again. But let's talk about what good players say to themselves when they when they miss a putt. I watched them golf last night. Like I said, I came home. It was a great day. I'm watching these kids play. I love it. And uh, they don't hit every green. They don't, you know, as, as Shoemaker says, um, or maybe the, the point A people said, you know, lots of champions have hit it in bunkers and out of bounds and in the water in rounds on the way to winning. It's just a shot on the way to the next shot. But good players, conversely, what they do is they go, okay, I've hit a poor shot. Like I hit a, you know, I almost drove that par four there at Greystone, the whatever that 16? is. No, 15, I think. 16, You're yeah, right, 15, it is 15. 15. Yeah, yeah. So I'm, all, I'm just in front of the green. You know, I'm like uh, from here to the door to the pin. And it's a tight lie. And I decided to go with my 50, not my 58, because I was just going to try and skip it in there. Right. And I just sort of half chunked it. Got it on the green, hit it to 15 feet. But it wasn't the best chip I could make. Mm-hmm. But I didn't think, oh, crap, now I can't chip. I went, hey, sometimes good players don't hit it perfectly. And I was because I was trying to be a little delicate. But it wasn't my best effort. But I didn't go, oh, my God, now I can't chip. <laughs> I walked to going, well, okay, I've sank 15-footers before. That's how I thought. Yeah. Because I watched those kids last night, and I've watched golf a lot. They don't – sometimes they hit shitty chips. Sometimes they miss four-foot putts. Absolutely. I mean, you know uh, – I had this conversation with a couple of my players, and it's like you can – I don't know how many times I've had this happen to me, but I made a putt that I knew it wasn't solid, it wasn't on my intended line, and it went in. Yeah. Or there's times I thought I hit a dead perfect putt, and like, oh, my God. <laughs> Just – no, it didn't even threaten the hole. Or sometimes you hit a, hit a, hit a putt and go, oh, it, I didn't know it went on that line, and it went in. Oh, my gosh. It's just a weird, weird game. And, but, you know, are you going to, you know, you, you do sales for Humble and Fred. Do you, do you crush it every time? Do you, you know, sometimes you show up in a meeting and eh, maybe you don't have it that day to the way you no, want. No, you know, not everyone says yes. 
Yeah, absolutely. But does that mean like you're a bad radio sales guy? No, I'm pretty bad. Um, <laughs> but no, for sure. And and, and conversely, you know, like I, you know, I, the last couple of rounds I've played, I've putted. I, my 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 putting feels great. I just I'm lipping out a lot of holes. So what? I did. I, I three putted four times yesterday in nine holes. Are some of them going in? Some of them go in. Yeah. But but I'm saying like so I'm looking at it like wow I just. I just made a beautiful stroke, hit the edge of the cup, and it did everything but go in. So I chose to think, you're just not having, you know, I'm just not reading the putt. They, I just was not reading them very well, but I was stroking it on the line I wanted it to. Uh, uh, several times in the last couple of days, I said to myself, wow, I hit, I hit that exactly where I wanted to and at the speed I thought I should, and I'm 10 feet shorter long. But that's what I intended to do. Not not like, oh, where'd that come from? Yeah, <laughs> you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. And, and that's what you have to say to yourself. Did, is that what you intended to do? Maybe it was completely wrong. But this cliche is very true, which is you, you're better off to be committed at the wrong line oh. than to be unsure on the right line. Because it's just you're, you're just practicing good. good uh, it's good practice. Well, commitment is so huge and. In in everything, if if I'm committed to something, I'm I'm fully in, and I can draw on my resources. And it could my, be the wrong thing, but matter. at least you're committed to it. But you made a good. But you made yeah. you're going to make a good stroke. Exactly, you're, yeah. you're going to hit it with a bit more. It's just going to come off better in, when you're committed. This is the greatest show ever. Uh, Swing Thoughts, the <laughs> podcast. Uh, Tim and I thank you so much for listening. Taylor made Adidas and Bushnell. Thank you. Uh, it's been a great year. It's been a great year. Uh, Tim, uh, what's your uh, Tim O'Connor? O'ConnorGolf.ca. HumbleandFredRadio.com. Uh, follow us, uh, Swing Thoughts, on Facebook. Once again, if you do have any comments, put them on our Facebook page. Become if, a member. Become a member become of the member Swing of Thoughts Society. Advisory Council. Thank you, Tim. And we'll when we lots of plots to everybody. Plaudits. Yes. Plaudits. I laud you for listening. Plotted. Plot. Plotted. Lottie. Plotty. Okay. Uh, is this thing going? Hang on a sec. Here we go. Resuming. Uh, very good. Now, I'm not sure when we're, we're going to all get together again. A couple uh, of weeks, maybe. Sure. Every and two weeks or Every so? couple of weeks, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You and know. then uh, next time, maybe we should do some uh, recommendations for winter uh, training. Maybe we can get our boy Nick Trachillo back here. He has a, a great uh, handle on that. Oh, yeah. Well, actually, we're going to be some of our oh, professional yes. friends. We're going to see you on October 30th at the uh, PGA Expo. Um, we're going to do, in essence, what's the show called? Swing Thoughts. We're going to do Swing Thoughts Live. Wow. We, <laughs> okay. Yeah, I know, I know. It's, All right there, sir. I need to eat. I haven't eaten yet. O'Connor, uh, great to be with you. And, uh, yeah, we'll have more details about our uh, live appearance October 30th at the PGA of Ontario show. Is that what that is? PGA Expo. Yeah, PGA. I the Ontario PGA Expo. All right, we'll see you all next time. Competition in other places. But the horns, they blow in that sun.